Happy birthday, boys. Woo! I am just, I'm just beyond so proud to be part of this community with you guys. I'm just so proud. I am so sad that that sign kept like flashing and like you couldn't probably catch everything on there. But uh, I mean, we didn't even cover all the things that were on there. There was so many things, things we've done in the city, things that we've given away, churches we've launched, um, new small groups, salvations, baptisms, so many things. Um, I'll, I'll make sure to like go ahead and like put it on our social media so you guys can actually like see it for as long as you want to look at it instead of seeing like flashes for three seconds. Um, but you guys just so proud, so proud to be a part of this church. And it's not me and Taka, like he said, it's, it's you guys. You guys have done so much good. You've given so much away to our community, so much. And you should feel so proud um, of what you guys have built and and how you guys have given away. And so I'm just, I'm thankful, I'm grateful, and uh, I love you guys. So if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, um, if you're wondering, like, who's this lady up here? Uh, my name's Natalie, and um, Talk and I, we got to launch this church together four years ago just down the street at the marketplace. And so um, it's pretty cool that we're, like, literally not even a mile away from where we launched, um, you know, four years later, and just feel lucky that and blessed that I get to still be here and be a part of this with you guys. Um, for those of you who have not been here, didn't come last week, or if this is your first time, you may not know that we are in a series um, about the book of Proverbs. And it's got a really unique name. It's just called Proverbs. <laughs> so um, it's actually pretty cool. It's, it's called Proverbs, A Life Well Lived. And really, the whole reason that um, we wanted to do this is because Proverbs are just these awesome little snippets of wisdom that we get to take away. And who doesn't want to live a life well, right? Nobody, like, wakes up in the morning and is like, eh, I don't really care. I'm just going to, like, coast through until I die, right? No, we want to get to the end of our life and be proud of the life that we've lived. And so we were like, what better thing to do than to go over the Proverbs with each other? And so um, just to give you a little snapshot of Proverbs, it's really just a like I said, it's short little snippets of wisdom, and it was mostly written by a man named Solomon. And he was known as one of the most wealthy and wise men of his time. And so he, he has a lot to say, and people would come from all over the world to hear him and listen to what he had to say. And so he wrote these Proverbs because I'm sure he got tired of telling people over and over the same things. He's like, let me just write it down for you guys, okay? <laughs> and then you'll all have it forever. Um, so... The Proverbs, though, um, you know, sometimes when we look at Scripture, we can, be, um, we can be tempted to look at Scripture and think that everything in it is a hard and fast rule for every situation. And that's not really the case with Proverbs. Um, they, Proverbs are really, um, they're more uh, principles to help you just get the most out of life, to live your best life. They're more about probability and not really promises. So when you see these, um, you'll see what I mean because sometimes it'll say things like, if you do this, you'll live a long and ha like happy life. You'll live a prosperous life. But obviously we know that sometimes people can live a great life, but they don't live until they're 96, and they, know they don't get wealthy, right? So they're not hard and fast rules. Um, they're really just, it's advice, it's wisdom for you to be able to live a great life. And so this week, you're going to see some examples of that. In the next coming weeks, you'll see that as well. But I love that Proverbs, Proverbs itself opens up, and it says um, in 1, 1 through 3, it says, These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. 
Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline and to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives to help them do what is right, just, and fair. And um, we're going to talk quite a bit about that today. Um, but really, they're, it's just they're there to help you to be able to judge each situation and individual that you let into your life properly in order to make good choices. It's just simple like that. And so um, in the next month, starting in October, we're going to be in this proverb series all the way up until the holiday season. So buckle up. It's going to be a good one. Um, but starting next month in October, we're going to start reading a proverb a day together. And so it's going to be a little bit different. You'll see it's going to be different than our preaching series because um, you'll see that Proverbs has the same things are often scattered throughout the book. And so instead of hopping all around, we decided let's just read through it together, start to finish. But on the sermon days, we'll actually preach through the themes. Um, and that's just because it's super, or Proverbs is not really sequential with their themes. They're, it's really sporadic, and you'll see that. So um, we're, we just decided to do it a little bit separately. So don't be confused when you read your Proverbs one week and you come to church on Sunday and you're like, this is not what I read about. I was not prepared for this, okay? That's not the point of it. It's just to read it together, and then we'll talk about some of the themes together as well. Sorry, you guys, I'm going to have to take some stops and take some drinks to say you so anyways, this week our theme is um, actually something that when we, when we sat down with the teaching team, we're like, all right, everybody take the topics you feel the most confident about. And I was like, I kind of was like waiting around to see what everybody else picked. And then I got this one handed to me and I did not pick it. Um, <laughs> and it's not because it's a bad topic. It's just because Honestly, usually when I think of the person who would teach on integrity, it's Taka. It's like his, like, number one topic he loves to talk about. I have never, ever done a lesson about integrity. And I'm like, I don't even know what to say. I mean, 20 years of ministry, I've never put together a lesson about integrity. So I think it was just the Lord's way of being like, Natalie, I want you to, like, focus on this and learn about this. So anyways, I'm excited to dive into it with you guys because um, the more I looked into it and the more I was sitting, I was like, wow, this really is an important topic, um, especially for us as believers to grasp a hold of and to integrate into our lives. I didn't, I, you know, I didn't even mean to do that. Integrity, integrate. <laughs> I that was free. <laughs> that was free for you. Um, anyways, so anyways, you know, some of you might be sitting here and going, okay, so Integrity, cool. What's the point? Why do we care about integrity? What's the big deal? Does it really apply to my everyday life? And so the word integrity is actually mentioned 34 times in Scripture and six times in Proverbs alone. And so I really feel like God felt like it was really important for us, something that we really did need to learn how to integrate into our lives. He felt like it was important for us to learn how to live with integrity. And when I started thinking about it and studying it, I was like, you know, we actually don't think about how integrity is so important until we realize that it's not there. You know what I'm saying? Uh, we really realize when someone lacks integrity in their life because it affects us, right? It affects us. And so when, we, when we're missing it, it affects not just us, but it affects, it affects God. It affects people. It affects our life. And so, I mean, first and foremost, like I said, it defames God. When we don't have integrity in, in our lives, it defames God. Um, inevitably, we can make, make him look bad. And some of you guys have 
you've experienced this um, from, you know, I'm sure we've all heard of the famous stories of church leaders who have had moral failures. Or we hear about Christian leaders, even in the marketplace, who profess to be Christians, but then they do things that hurt other people, or they, they act in a way that is far from what Christ asked us to live like. And it causes people to look at God and be like, why would I ever want to be a part of that if that's what these people are like, right? So we know it affects, it affects God. It makes him look bad. And as he calls us the ambassadors to his kingdom, right? And so anyone knows that if you're an ambassador to another um, country, you say something wrong or you misrepresent your country, you can start a war. So you know how important that it is to represent your country really well, represent your leader really well. And as Christians, it's so important that we know how to represent the kingdom of God really well. And so integrity matters because the mission of God is at stake, right? Not only that, but it hurts other people, you know. Um, I'm sure a lot of us in this room have been um, affected by someone else who didn't have integrity in our life. Um, so someone who maybe, some of you maybe experienced a spouse cheating on you, or you've experienced a parent who left you um, when you were younger. And, you know, some of you maybe have been scammed before, right? Or you've been, uh, had a financial person cook the books in your organization, and it affects you. And you know when people ha are lacking integrity that people get hurt. So when a person lacks intentionality to live with integrity and getting what we want becomes a standard that we live by, it's only a matter of time before we hurt someone. And if you don't stand with integrity, you'll walk right into immorality. And I know that that's a really bold statement. But if we don't intentionally choose to live with integrity, other people's lives are at stake. And not only that, but ours, our lives are at stake. I don't think any of us wake up in the morning and going, today I'm going to sabotage myself. Today I want to make sure that I lose my job because I was lazy. Today I want to make sure that I hurt my spouse, right? Today I want to make sure I go bankrupt because I didn't do my due diligence with my finances, right? Nobody wakes up thinking that. But if we're not intentional to put integrity into our lives, we're, sub we're subject to that, right? And so God's like, I want to protect you. Integrity is not here to be a list of rules or it's not a, a reason for you to be perfect. I'm not, I'm not trying to shame anybody into being perfect or doing things right all the time. The goal is to put up guardrails for ourselves, to protect ourselves, to live in a way that people, when they look at our lives, won't have anything negative to say about us, right? Because we've lived for Christ. We've done everything we can to stand before people doing what is just, what is right, and what is fair, right? Just like the Proverbs said, to do what is just, right, and fair. And that's who God calls us to be as his people. And so when I was looking up definitions for the word integrity, I found so many really cool definitions and some different um, themes that I, I thought I could share with you guys today. So one of them was the quality of being honest or having strong moral principles. Another one is the act of understanding God's wisdom. I love that it says the act of understanding because understanding is not just a head thing. It's action, right? If you don't understand it, if you don't live it, right? Um, the next one is to be blameless, to embody purity and innocence. 
And another one says, it's actually a definition of structural integrity. And it says, it's able to withstand many pressures. And I think that all of us need a little bit of that, right? We're all going to face pressures in our life. We're all, we all face moments when difficulty comes. And if we haven't built up the structural integrity of our life, how will we be able to stand in those moments? And so I think God wants us today to learn how to build a foundation that will last. So Proverbs 10, 25 to 29 says, When the storms of life come, the wicked are whirled away, but the godly have a lasting foundation. Lazy people irritate their employers like vinegar to the teeth or smoke to the eyes. But fear of the Lord lengthens one's life. But the years of the wicked are cut short, and the hopes of the godly result in happiness. But the expectations of the wicked come to nothing, and the way of the Lord is a strong Hi, babe, is a stronghold to those with integrity, but it destroys the wicked. And so I love that illustration of a storm, right? Um, because it's so indicative of what goes on in our life. We all face storms in our life, every single one of us. But our foundations need to be strong. And so um, when something, I was looking up, when I started looking into the in, in, uh, structural integrity, it was so revealing, actually, because there were so many cool things to draw from. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I could just preach a sermon just solely on structural integrity. But um, it, we won't. We won't. Um, but uh, these are the things that determine whether something has structural integrity. And I'm only giving you, like, four because we don't have all day for this. But um, so when a structure fails, um, it's because there is the structure is weak. So the structure isn't strong enough to withstand the load, load to which it's subject. Right? So we just talked about that. But sometimes it's structural deterioration, meaning the structure wasn't kept up, right? It just, it was built really nicely, but maybe it wasn't taken care of along the way. Um, another one is improper environmental considerations. So, you know, obviously you need a different kind of materials for different environments. So if you live on the beach, obviously, like at the beach area, you're going to build a house that has stilts on it, right? You don't want to put something that's going to be like, you don't want to put like a brick house on the beach. It's not going to work, right? You want to put something that has stilts on it. Um, if you live in the desert, you want to build something that's going to be able to shield you from the heat. You want to have the right kind of materials that aren't going to catch on fire, right? All those kinds of things. It's important. And the last one is that it's in, uh, it was being used improperly according to its purpose. And I thought that was a really powerful thing, too, that we could have like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing, like correlation to scripture our lives being used improperly according to our purpose. And that's so powerful. So when I immediate when I when I heard that, I was thinking, I was like, I know there's another verse in scripture and I, I couldn't like pull it out of my mind at the top of like at the top of my mind. I was like, I'm gonna just Google it and see what it is. Because I know there's another one that talks about having structural integrity. And so I Googled it and I looked it up and it was Matthew 7, 24 to 27. And here's what it says. Anyone who listens to my teaching, this is Jesus speaking. And follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds their house on sand. And when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash." 
dramatic pause. Um, so in this moment, yes, we're in the book of Proverbs, reading about Proverbs. But later, we have Jesus sounding very similar to the Proverbs verse that we heard earlier, right? And almost certainly, he's referring back to that verse in Proverbs about the winds will come and the storms that come in our life. And I love that Jesus refers back to it, and he's like, I am the answer that what you, were, you read earlier in Proverbs was talking about. You build your life on me, and things you will have a solid life. And so he goes on in Matthew chapter 7, and he gives this incredible list of things that we can do to keep our lives strong, living with integrity, built on that rock, able to withstand many storms. So today I'm going to be reading in Proverbs, but I'm also going to be correlating it to Matthew because Jesus actually ends up giving the solutions to how we can live with integrity. And he's the one that we're going to be building our lives upon. So um, we're going to look a little bit in both. So if you can just kind of follow me along with it. So how do we build integrity? That's the question, right? We know we need it. We know it's important. How do we get it? How do we just do the right things, right? So the first one that I want to say is step one is that we have to examine what's underneath the surface. And so uh, in Matthew 7, 18, Jesus says, a good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So where does good fruit start? Do you guys know? The soil, yeah. It starts down underneath. What's, what's down in your roots? And so Jesus is saying, you can't produce good fruit if you don't have the good stuff underneath. You won't have a good tree. You won't have good fruit if you don't look at what's going on under the surface. And so good fruit starts with healthy roots and soil. Just like any structure, the higher you want it to go, the deeper you have to build down into the ground. If you want to have structural integrity, you've got to go deep down. And so that's the same thing. And our motivations in our lives are the roots and the foundations of what our life gets built on. So the question is, how do we then examine deep down what our motivations are? So what do you think about when you go to bed and when you wake up in the morning? What pushes you to keep going in the day? That's your motivation. And so the questions that we have to look at is we have to take the time to self-examine. And some, we used to call this at, you know, when I was growing up, people always used to say, oh, you're just examining your, your spiritual belly button. Have you guys ever heard that? Um, <laughs> and it used to be this way um, of, like, people kind of making fun of people who would sit down and just think deeply all the time. And the older I've gotten, the more I've been like, actually, I don't like that phrase anymore because, actually, I think it's really important that we do examine, not our belly buttons, but we examine what's deep down inside of us. And so, so that's just step one. We examine it. And we just take a time. And I always tell people, I'm like, the best way to examine what's going on in your, in your life and in your heart and your motivations is at the end of the day, after everything's happened, you've seen your own reactions. You think about what you did that day. You think about how you reacted. You get your journal out and you go, why did I react like that? And you go, what, what made me so mad about what that person said? Why did I yell at my kids about that? Was that really that big of a deal? And you start thinking about it. You examine 
yourself. You examine your emotions, um, your, your motives. You, you examine it all. And you just take the time. And, and sure enough, when you take that time, ask God to be present with you. He'll let you know. You'll figure it out, too. You'll know pretty quickly. You know, you'll figure out, oh, shoot, I was mad because, um, you know, I didn't have time in the day or whatever. Or I was mad because they got that promotion. And, and so I've been treating them bad this whole time. And I was just jealous, you know. But in those moments, we have to meet ourselves with honesty and be honest about what's really going on deep down in our hearts and go, okay, I know that that is starting to produce bad fruit in my life. And I know that I, w- I don't want that. I want good fruit. So what we have to do is we have to take the time. And step two, we need to dig that stuff out. Take the time to dig it out. And then we need to not just dig it out, but then we need to replace it with the good. We need to replace that soil. We need to give it healthy things. We need to put life-giving things back in that soil so that we can get that good fruit. But it takes time. It takes intentionality. It takes work. We don't get to just wish it away and hope that we can be better. We have to take the time to self-examine, dig it out, and replace it with the good. And so Proverbs, actually, we're just going to focus on a few of the uh, motivations that I think are really prominent in our society right now that are kind of like the continual ill of mankind, right, that just need removing. And so we're going to discuss just a few of those and how to replace them. And so on the short list today is like, the three things you probably can all, you probably all know, right? Money, power, sex. You, know, you guys know it. Those motivators, they're like the three things that take us out almost every time. Those three motivations, when we live our lives for those things, they're really poor motivators. They're fine to have, but they're really bad motivators. And so the point is taking them out of our motivations and letting them be a fruit right? They shouldn't be our motivations. They should eventually be a fruit. So we need to put the right things in the right places. So don't worry, we're not going to go into any gory details today. I'm not going to like scare you all at church, but uh, we'll go, we'll talk a little bit about that. So, so let's just, let's just dive right into it. You know, those are, those are the top three, but that's not the only things that we all deal with, right? We all know there's other things like fear, jealousy, unforgiveness, hatred, there's lots of things. So we all have to self-examine and know our own heart and ourself. But we're going to talk about the top three today. So first thing we're going to talk about is, is power, right? So the problem with power is that if it's in the wrong hands um, with the wrong motives, it can do immense damage. So Proverbs 29.2 says, when the godly are in authority, people rejoice. But when the wicked are in power, they groan. And how many of you have experienced both, one or the other, right? Someone who was like a really great boss who did awesome things for your company or you had a really <laughs> terrible boss who was like awful in every single way. <laughs> Have you guys ever experienced that? I had a great boss. Uh, well, I've had both actually. But I had one time I remember having a really great boss and he was like so thoughtful about our team. He prayed for us all the time. Like what boss does that? Like prays for you? Um, he would, like, give us days off as, like, rewards for good work. Like, and we all worked really hard and loved it and stayed forever because he was a great boss. He listened. He cared. But when those who are in power, their motivation is just to get more power, they'll step over whoever they need to to keep getting more power, which actually ends up backfiring 
that's kind of besides the point, right? But Proverbs 27 to 11 says, The godly will walk with integrity, and blessed are their children who follow them. When a king sits in judgment, he weighs all the evidence, distinguishing the bad from the good. But false weights and unequal measures, the Lord detests double standards of every kind. How, and I, so I think the question for us is, how does this apply to us? Well, we all kind of have power in our own lives, right? Maybe we may not be like the top CEO. Maybe you are. I don't know. But you have power in your own life. And you're an influencer in some way in your own life, whether that's in your family, whether that's in your workplace. You have power in your life. So how do you use that? Um, even if you're on the bottom, the bottom rung of the workplace, you still have a measure of power. Some people know how to work the system, right? So the question for us is, how much time are we spending tipping the scales for our own favor, right? Sometimes it looks like, um, you know, asserting yourself when you know an over overlooked person could really use something, right? Maybe they're the person who really needs an opportunity. Even though you already had your opportunity, somebody else really should get that opportunity, but you, you campaign for yourself instead. Or do you make other people follow rules that you don't follow yourself? Um, you know, you want to be strict with other people, but loose for yourself. I know I can do that sometimes. Uh, have you ever gossiped to make people look bad or yourself look better so that, so that you would put yourself above them, right, to make yourself look good? Have you ever ignored other people's perspective so that you could assert your own opinion? That's, that's trying to leverage power. It's trying to tip the scales. And anyone can do that, top or bottom rung, doesn't matter. But the question is, are we using our power to do what is right, just, and fair? And so when we try to build our lives on simply gaining power without building character, that power has an expiration date every time. Proverbs 10.9 says, People with integrity walk safely, but those who follow crooked paths will be exposed. And we know it. Gossip always finds a way to the person it was intended against, right? Every time. It never works out. Harsh judgment is always repaid in equal measures. And no one can reap what they haven't sown. And so what if we, instead of trying to assert our power, we try to work on our character? And when power comes our way, then we'll do good with it, right? But power will only take you as far as your character can keep you. I'll say that again. Power will only take you as far as your character can keep you. So how do we flip the script? Jesus was pretty, pretty clear about it. He said, just emulate Christ. He came to serve others. So instead of seeking power, seek to serve, right? Instead of climbing the ladder, what if we lower ourselves down the ladder to serve, to help people, to push them up, to make sure that they get a chance, right? What if we empower other people? If we're, in, if we're in a position of leadership, what if we let other people go first? What if we go last? What if we give them all the credit? Right? It's hard. But it's right. It's fair. Right? We never have to seek out power. And here's why. Because God is bringing us on a sacred journey. And he's doing things in us. He's trying to build character in us. He's trying to make us into these incredible people. 
And we don't have to seek out power because when we've done all the right things, when we've built enough character, he'll promote us when the time is right. When we try to put ourselves in positions when we're not ready for it, we're going to fail. Because power can never keep you where your character hasn't, kept, hasn't been built, right? So just work on building your character. Serve. Love. It's simple. Don't worry about your position because God will promote you when the time is right. Matthew, I'll just keep it simple. It says Matthew 7, 12 says, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This in the essence is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. So what would you wish someone would have done for you? Do that. Really simple. Really simple. The next one is money, right, or greed. You guys probably hate it when we talk about money in church, huh? So I'm not going to tell you to give me money, okay? So you just sigh a breath, like take a breath. I'm not going there, okay? Um, money is not bad, you know? I, I always am like, I always hate it when people are like, oh, don't, you know, the love of money is a bad thing. And that is in scripture. That's, 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 it is in scripture, but I think um, it's all about the motivations, like we're talking about, right? I actually know people who um, their goal is to make a ton of money, but their goal is to make a ton of money because they want to make a really big difference in this world. So they're like, I'm going to make as much money as I can because I know that mission, missionary over there needs to build a building, and so I'm going to make a ton of money so that I can give it away. I'm going to make a ton of money because I know the Aguchis need a church truck, and I want to make sure I make enough money this month to give them that truck because I want to bless them. And their motivation... Yes, they're, mo they're motivated to get money, but their motivation is to bless. Their motivation is to make a difference. Their motivation is to do good, to, to do, do what's just right and fair, right? They want to they give to people who can't take the time to, ha to raise that money the same way, or who don't have the, who don't have the talent to make money. The way that some of us are just talented to make money, and that's not a bad thing. And so I just want to, like, take away any shame that you may have felt about being good at making money from coming to church, okay? There's nothing wrong with that because there's lots of organizations, I'm sure, and people represented in this room who would love your money. So keep making that money, okay, and do good with it. But the problem is, is when it's, it's gained dishonestly or when it's gained and it doesn't go back out to those who need it, right? When it's hoarded, when it's just kept for all of ourselves. Um, I think the other thing is when we begin to get this, um, we get this um, urge to amass things, right? Just get more stuff, more stuff, more stuff, more stuff, more stuff, more stuff, more stuff. And we have our, ourselves built up in this, like, you know, castle of stuff, and then nobody there to enjoy it with us, right? And there's so many people out there who could be benefiting from all your stuff that you don't even use that's sitting in, like, storehouses somewhere, right? You have to put it away in, like, a storage building because you don't even use it. And meanwhile, somebody is like, I don't have a house or a blanket, you know. Give it away. <laughs> Give it away. So I think it's when we begin to amass things and hoard things. You know, we've all heard the horror stories of, of corporate greed, right? And um, it's easier for me to, like, talk about, you know, things happening across the world. You know, probably all of us have heard about the horrors of the fast fashion industry. You guys, you guys know about this fast fashion stuff? Yes, no? Uh, I'll just briefly go over it. Um, so fast fashion basically is when we'll, we'll 
send production overseas, and people are in these, these like terrible squalor conditions, being forced to work all hours of the day. There's actual stories about, like lots of stories about people being actually physically intimidated, tortured if they don't do a good job. They have to meet these crazy quotas, meeting all day, and meanwhile they don't make enough money to feed their families, to pay for the childcare for them to be there. They, and the products that they make and sell go back over the US and they sell them for more than that one person could make in a year. And I could name off some of the companies and some of you guys would be like, I'll never shop there again. Just Google it, okay, just Google it and you'll find out. But the problem is, is when people go, when they set out to, um, they set out to not be just like, okay, having enough, they wanna go out and they wanna make a killing, right? And you hear about these places where in Bangladesh, eventually this, this building where these people were in these terrible conditions, it collapsed and 1,300 people died, making leggings for us and purses for us. And we think about then the evil that's in that. We could have just taken care of them. We could have just built a nicer building. But instead, we're over here just being like, I want my leggings and I want them now and I want them cheaper. <laughs> Meanwhile, someone's giving their life for your leggings, right? And so what if we just decided to be people who are going to be right, just, and fair? A silly thing, but what if we just bought from a company that didn't participate in fast fashion? Pay a little bit extra, right? Pay a little bit extra for your leggings or your purse so that someone doesn't have to give their life for what, for what you want to have in your, in your closet, right? I know that's a silly example. Maybe not silly, but that's an example of how we can be generous with our finances and how we can try to be right, just, and fair with our finances. Proverbs eleven twenty says, The Lord detests people with crooked hearts, but he delights with those in, in, who have integrity. So other ways that we can do that is if we're an employer, instead of choosing to have a crooked heart and getting more for ourselves and getting more out of them and running them into the ground, what if we gave them more days off? We're just like, you, you worked hard. Take a day off. What if we just decided to pay people a living wage? <laughs> Decide to do the best you can to take care of people the best way you can. Even if you can't afford to pay them a lot, do what you can to take care of them because you love them. We can all be tempted to gain for ourselves using dishonest, me dishonest measures or not telling the whole truth. Charging more than it's aff is affordable not giving people who do work for us what they need. But I love that Solomon's story, actually, he, he kind of flips the script on it a little bit, too, because instead of seeking money, the famous thing about Solomon's story, you, you can read about it in, in First Kings, but when he became king, the first thing that he did was not to ask God for more money, was not to ask him for fame, was not to ask him for anything else except wisdom. Solomon said, God, will you bless me with wisdom so that I can learn how to care for my people better? And God saw his heart, and he said, that is a heart that I can work with. That's a heart that I can do good with. And so God not only blessed him with incredible wisdom, as we can see from the Proverbs today, and people came from all over the world to hear his wisdom, but they also, God also blessed him with immense wealth and immense influence all over the world honor, fame, all the things, he gave him that because he wasn't looking for it, right? And so what if 
instead of looking for those things, we look for wisdom. Instead of trying to amass more and more and more for ourselves, we say, God, how can I be wise in taking care of people with what you give me? And I think that's the heart. That is the antidote to greed, is searching for a heart of wisdom to care for people. And this is what Solomon says in 2, 7 through 8. He said, God grants a treasure. I love that he calls, he calls this the treasure. He grants a treasure of common sense to the honest. And he's a shield to those who walk with integrity. He guards the path of the just and protects those who are faithful to him. And Solomon knows, even as a person with the greatest wealth, he says the treasure is not getting from people, it's gaining wisdom through honesty and through just actions. So instead of seeking wisdom, or sorry, instead of seeking wealth, what if we sought wisdom? I think it would change our lives. And I think that God will provide everything for you after that too. Because he says, he says in scripture, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. So seek wisdom. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek to do God's way, and everything you need will be added unto you. And then the last thing I want to talk about is, is sex. I'm sorry we're going to talk about sex in church. Don't worry, we're not going to get graphic, okay? I'm not going to hang on this for very long, uh, okay? But I, I also put on there emotional needs because some of us, um, maybe sex isn't your vice. Maybe it's you, you are a person who needs to have your emotional needs met, and you try to get that met through other various ways. Sometimes people call that being an emotional vampire. Have you heard of that before? Because what is that? What's that show we watch? The the vampire show. It's really, anyways, one of them is an evo- emotional vampire. <laughs> that was so funny. And the other one, the other they're like normal vampires. And then, yes, what we do in the shadows. Anyways, it's funny. Side note. Anyways, that's totally besides the point. But, again, um, as we talked about before, money is not bad, right? Power is not bad. Sex and having your emotional needs met, those aren't bad. But they're not great motivators for our life. They're actually really good. Those things are all really good, right? When we use them in the right way, when we, when we carry them out under God's direction in the way God created it, Right? He put them here for us to use to do good on the earth. So it's, they're good things, right? They're not inherently bad. But they don't gratify, or they don't gratify, not gratify, satisfy, gratify, same, uh, our deepest needs. And trying to find value in them really causes a lot of problems. So we always have to question our motivations when we're trying to get sex or emotional needs met. And the question is, Will me doing this leave this person in good condition before God, their family, and their current or future spouse? I want to say that again. Will me doing this have left this person in good condition before God, their family, and their current spouse? And so just thinking about how we interact with one another. Are we leaving people in good condition? Are we taking care of their hearts? I took that from Sam Anderson. She's so good at that. She says, are we taking care of people's hearts? And I think that will guide us so wisely when we think about our own relationships 
and how we interact with other people and what we try to bring to the relationship and get out of the relationships, right? Proverbs 2, 16 to 22 says, and I modified this so it applies to everyone. The original version was slanted, so I'm just going to say that. But Proverbs 16 says, wisdom will save you from the immoral ones, from the seductive words of the promiscuous. They've abandoned their spouse. They ignore the covenant they made before God, and entering their house leads to death. It is the road to the grave. The person who visits them is doomed. They will never reach the paths of life. So follow the steps of the good and stay on the path of the righteous, for only the godly will live in the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the, the wicked will be removed from the land, and the treacherous will be uprooted. And um, I think it's so ironic that Solomon wrote this. Because if you look later on in his life, he wrote this before, before his ending. Solomon ended up being one of the most greedy, the most selfishly powerful, and the most sexually promiscuous person I think I've ever heard of. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Man would have had to spend one day for, like, three women, different women, every day for a whole year, and still not give them all enough attention. (laughs) Talk about somebody who's distracted from their purpose. He was completely consumed with getting his needs met. He was completely consumed at the end of his life. That wasn't his whole life. It was the end of his life. And he was, he will admit to you, he he did get off the path from God. He did start serving other gods. He was completely distracted by women. I mean, how can you, how can you serve a kingdom, let alone all your wives, if you're seeking all of this, right? But later in the book of Ecclesiastes, we hear the rest of the story. And here Solomon tells us that he did try everything. He, he knew what was right, right? He wrote the Proverbs. He knew what was right. Just because we know what's right doesn't mean we do what's right. And so he said, you know what? I knew what was right. And I tried everything else. Literally, literally everything. I literally had all of the money that anyone could ever want. I had more spouses than anyone should ever want, right? I had it all had everything under the sun. And he said, I amassed silver and gold for myself, the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired a harem as well as the delights of the heart of men. That's Ecclesiastes 2.8. But this harem did not bring happiness. And he said, instead, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. And at the conclusion of Ecclesiastes, we find his, his wisest words. And this is what he said, fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And so seeking to find purpose, joy, value, identity, anything other than seeking to, to live for God, ends up falling short. Everything ends up falling short. 
of living for Jesus. Solomon lost everything, all to find that putting it on the line for Christ's sake, well, not Christ, for God, he didn't, Christ wasn't there yet, putting it on the line for God's sake was the safest way to live. By choosing integrity in our path of relationships, it allows us to stay firm and to stay put rather than running away. We can be bold in our life. It's protection and security for us. It's not rules that we have to follow. It's some boundaries so we don't fall off the cliff. It's wisdom so we have a great life, so we know how to make decisions, so we have a firm foundation when the storms of life come. We'll be there. When the storms of life come and everything is washed away, what will be left? What will people see? And we hope that what's left is just and right and fair. It was goodness, it was love, it was generosity, it was service, it was wisdom. Because no one can take those things away. Nothing can take those things away. And that'll be your legacy that you leave for the rest of your life. So when we try to find our value, our purpose, and our identity and wholeness in Christ alone, we have everything we'll ever need to be able to make it in this life. And so today, my goal is not for any of you to feel ashamed if you've done any of those things. There's forgiveness. God wants you to be whole. He wants you to have an incredible life. There's not shame here for this. He came to erase shame from your life. And he wants to give you another chance. He wants to say, it's okay. Wake up. Start again. Try again. Let's do this. We got this. There's more grace. There's grace and grace and grace. Every morning there's more grace, new grace. So today we can just come before God and say, God, if there's anything that I've done or any motivations that are down here that maybe I didn't even know are there, can you help me to replace them with the right ones? Can you help me to build a life with a firm foundation on you? Because we can be secure in him. And so as we go into worship, I just want to encourage each of you to do that, to, to take a moment to, to do some self-examination, to just take a moment and ask God to replace anything in you that maybe is taking you down a path that you don't want to go because he has good for you. He has something better. And if you maybe have never made a decision for Christ and you, you've never allowed him um, to have any say in your life, maybe this is the day where you get to say, I want to try this because this guy sounds like the kind of person who cares, who loves me, who actually wants good for me, who will guide me for the rest of my days. If that's you, um, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you stand up. But just when you're, when you're praying, when we're, when we're singing the song, just, just talk to him and say, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm going to follow you. I want to do this. And um, after service, we'd love to pray with you. So if that's you, please don't leave. I'm going to be over there, and I would love to pray for you. Um, but um, we're going to go ahead, and we're going to head into this um, time of worship. And I just hope that um, for each one of us, you feel leave today feeling encouraged, not shame, encouraged that God wants good.